help if I turned my microphone on. As you turn to Daniel 6, and before we pray and uh, take a look at God's Word together today, um, just a couple things I would remind you of. Uh, the survey that we put up last week, is uh, it's still open, and we really, really appreciate your feedback. And so uh, when you have, if you haven't already, but when you have 20 minutes, it takes about 20 minutes to complete this week, if you would... Um, Follow the QR code on the little uh, uh, handout that's in your worship folder, the little card in your worship folder, and just answer some questions for us there. We would appreciate it. And then we're going to just remind you over and over and over this uh, today that following this service is the QMU, the quarterly ministry update, and we have uh, streamlined it significantly. So it uh, should be a pretty quick meeting, and we will feed you as well. Let's uh, turn our attention to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing as we uh, approach his word today. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we once again want to, um, to express our dependence upon you in prayer, to confess our weakness and, and our need of you in prayer. And so, Lord, we, want to, uh, we just want to come before you today and ask you to be at work among us. Lord, one of the things that you have laid on my heart to pray for the church for some time now is that we would be prepared for persecution. And Lord, we think, uh, I think this morning of the church in Ukraine and maybe the things that they're going through, uh, the fear that they might have of persecution depending on uh, what's going on. And so Lord, we pray for peace in that place, but we pray also for boldness for your church. It's amazing how persecution uh, brings boldness to your church. And Lord, we pray that you would give us such boldness before persecution may come, that we would be willing to, uh, to speak quickly of you and all that you have done, and to be bold and to stand firm and strong in our faith. Lord, we want to pray for us as we, um, as we continue to look uh, uh, at hiring a worship director Lord, we thank you for those who have stepped up in the interim, those who have led us and served us and served you by serving us. We thank you for them, but Lord, we pray that you might uh, bring someone to us who can step into this role and, and lead this ministry uh, well and take us into whatever you have for us in the future. Someone who would invest uh, in people and, and in discipleship and in, in loving your church, Lord. Lord, we want to pray for uh, our missionaries, uh, Paul and Diana, who live here, but uh, who minister overseas uh, via the use of technology. We thank you for the things that they are doing, Lord. We thank you and, and praise you with them uh, that they're halfway through this systematic theology class that they're teaching. And Lord, that excites me because, um, uh, Lord, sometimes we, uh, we think theology is for scholars, but everything we think about you is theology. And uh, and theology is for everyday believers, Lord, that we might think rightly about you and worship you rightly and, uh, and, and speak of you rightly in and to the world. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for uh, just their, the praise they've given us of their good health. But Lord, we want to pray with them for their son's family as they're living apart while waiting for passports for their adopted kids. And some of the family is in one place and some in another. Lord, we pray that you would provide those passports soon and that family might be reunited in joy with one another. We want to continue to pray for Paul's teaching ministry and as he 
um, serves churches, uh, probably both here and abroad. Give him wisdom as he speaks your word into those places. Lord, for, um, for World Vision workers who are waiting to go on the field as well as passing on of, of uh, the leadership coordinator position for World Vision, we pray that, uh, that you would just help those things to, to go well in advance and, uh, and that your timing would be displayed perfectly through all the details there. Lastly, Lord, we pray with and for them as there's um, a, a search going for a new vice president for Grace Biblical Seminary. Lord, we pray that you would provide uh, the man you have for that position uh, in your timing and, and with uh, wisdom and clarity given to those who are involved in the search. As we turn now to your word, Father, we need your spirit to give us the mind of Christ as we read in 1 Corinthians. And so we ask today that we would have uh, open eyes and, and clear minds to understand your word and soft hearts to receive it and obey it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. We come now to what is probably the most famous chapter in the book of Daniel, and maybe certainly one of the top two or three famous passages in, in all of Scripture, and that is what we often call Daniel and the lion's den. And it is a story of Daniel and some lions, or so we think. Daniel, at this point, as we have seen, is over 80 years old. He's not a young man being tossed into, uh, into this lion's den. He has not returned since being taken from his homeland at the age of about 15. He has not returned to Judah, and he is still serving wicked kings and kingdoms. And we've seen throughout this, and maybe the overarching theme of Daniel is God's sovereignty over nations. But it's been some, uh, I guess this would put us in the neighborhood of 68 years since the introduction of the book of Daniel, and Daniel is still serving these wicked kings in wicked kingdoms who have taken over his people and his nation. Daniel 6, however, is not about Daniel, and it is not about lions, and it's not about King Darius. The point of this chapter is not about how you can dare to be a Daniel. Daniel 6 is all about God. It presents us with God who is the hero. God who is control, in control, God who is sovereign, God who has power over kings and even over their punishment, and really, ultimately, what it presents us with is a God who is mighty to save. And so let's look together at this most amazing chapter, and that is what I want us to see and focus on here, is God's sovereignty and his goodness and his control. We can, however, learn some lessons along the way, and, and I want us to learn some lessons from Daniel as well. But let's not get lost in the lessons that we can learn from Daniel and forget that this chapter is really about a sovereign and good and saving God. We do find as well, as we look at chapter 6, remarkable similarities to chapter 3, which was when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were thrown into 
the fiery furnace. We see an order, uh, an order that is disobeyed, and, and then uh, the wrath of a king. There's a lot of irony in this chapter that I'll try and point out to us as well. And then ultimately there is punishment and salvation. And, and Darius here learns something uh, very similar to what Nebuchadnezzar learned in chapter 3. So let's look at Daniel chapter 6 and see this saving and sovereign God and then come back and we'll learn four lessons from Daniel today. Verse 1, it seemed good to Darius that he set 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one. So the king doesn't want to have to busy himself with overseeing all that's going on in his massive kingdom. And so he's going to set three people in charge over an additional 120 uh, kind of um, governors in certain areas, if you will. And over them, three commissioners, of whom one of was Daniel, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Now notice that this is the king's goal here. The king's goal in this is that he might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because an extraordinary spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. So Daniel has, has, uh, he has shown forth over everybody else of, of these rulers, because in him was an extraordinary spirit. He worked hard. He was wise. He served the king diligently. And the king looked at Daniel and said, if I don't want to suffer loss, I should put this guy in charge. Verse 4, then the commissioners and satraps began to seek to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to matters of the kingdom. They were jealous. They didn't like the fact that this this slave guy from Judah was the one who was going to be put in charge over the whole kingdom. And so they wanted to find some way to trap him. But they were not able to find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. Inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his, of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and said thus to him. Now, Darius is probably entirely unaware, but these guys are setting a trap. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have counseled together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who seeks to make a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. So for 30 days, Darius and Darius alone is to receive worship in the kingdom. Now, O king, verse 8, establish the injunction and sign the written document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the written document, that is, the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew that the written document was signed, 
He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Babylonian homes at the time were built usually with windows, small-ish windows at the upper portion of the the home. And so Daniel's home uh, in its upper portion had these windows cut into it as was typical and these faced uh, Jerusalem. And so he was able to go up there and pray. Um, Where did I leave off? Uh, Verse 13. Let's go to verse 14. Then, as soon as the king heard this word, now notice the king does not see Daniel's action. The king hears the word. The trap's been set. The trap setters are observing, and Daniel takes the bait. He goes to his house the same way he had done, and he prays, and, and they report this to the king. Then, as soon as the king heard this word, he was greatly distressed within himself and set his mind on saving Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to deliver him. And this is where Darius, who sets himself up as a god and demands to be worshipped, begins to fall apart. This is where we begin to see a distinction between the living God who does not try, who simply speaks, and what he speaks comes into existence. And and Darius, who is trying to overcome his own edict. Then these men, verse 15, came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king... That is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or statute which the king established may be changed. He can't undo it. He can't fix it. He can't change it. We see similarly in the book of Esther that once, uh, once the king there, the Babylonian king, Ahasuerus, once he declares that there is a day upon which the Babylonians may attack and kill the Jews, he can't undo it. The only thing he can do is give another order that says they are allowed to defend themselves. And God uses that to save him. But this so-called God who gives an order can't even overcome his own order. His own weakness is being displayed to uh, to us here in great irony. Verse 16, then the king said the word, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king answered and said to Daniel, your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself save you. God, your God, Daniel, will do what I cannot. Your God has the strength, the power, the might, the control to use a Hebrew uh, euphemism, a length of arm to save you, whereas Darius cannot. And verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting and no entertainment was brought before him and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and hurriedly went to the lion's den. When he had come near, to, uh, near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king answered and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, 
whom you constantly serve, been able to save you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was greatly pleased and said for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm whatsoever was found on him because he had believed in his God. Then the king said the word, and they brought those men who had brought charges against Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And, and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every tongue who were inhabiting all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and be in dread before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be unto the end. He saves and delivers and does signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also saved Daniel from the power of the lions? So this Daniel enjoyed success in the kingdom of Darius and in the kingdom of Cyrus the Persian. And here in verses 26 and 27, we find the culmination of what this chapter is all about. It is not about Daniel, but about his God. And we see first in verse 26 that this God whom Daniel serves, Yahweh, the Lord, the living God, is the sovereign God. For he is the living and enduring God, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion, his rule, his power, his might will be unto the end. Daniel's God is a sovereign God, whereas Darius is presented to us as not a sovereign God, but a God who can't even get his own orders straight. And not only is he a sovereign God, he is a saving God. Verse 27, he saves and delivers and does signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also saved Daniel from the power of the lions. The point of Daniel is that God is a sovereign God and saving God. But there is some lessons for us to learn as well. And so I want us to look today at four lessons to learn from Daniel 6. You have blanks in your outline, and I have no slides, so I will repeat these well. Number one, serve well in the world. Serve well in the world. Daniel is still serving wicked kings. And from chapter 1 to chapter 6, essentially what is the span of most of his life, he serves well. He he must have wondered, what is my responsibility to this, this godless society? What is my responsibility to these kings who set themselves up as gods, who, who defy the sovereign and saving God? Certainly, no doubt, these these nations were were idolatrous and sinful. And yet, we find Daniel serving them well. What what must his responsibility have been? Uh, What is our responsibility? 
What is our responsibility in the godless society that we live in? When we get to chapter 9 in a couple of weeks, we're going to see that, that Daniel was a student of the prophet Jeremiah. Not, not personally, but he, was, he had studied the book of Jeremiah. And I think he must have taken Jeremiah 29.7 to heart, which says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I think Daniel must have understood Jeremiah 29, 7. He said, you know what? These are wicked kings and wicked kingdoms, but, but we knew we would be exiled. We knew we would be hauled off, and here we are. And I am going to seek the good of the city where God has sent me into exile, and I'm going to pray on its behalf because in its welfare is my welfare. And so he serves well. He serves wicked kings well. Do you seek the welfare of your city? Or, or do you hide in your home and in your church and just throw stones? See, it's, it's easier to rail against the world that we live in than it is to do good for it. We need to seek the welfare of the city. After all, we live here. I had a great opportunity this weekend. As you know, we've started providing food for some needy kids at Prospect Point, and we've had some opportunities at Wahai as well. And, and it was just, it was a, I was like, we got to do something. I'm going to go meet with the principals and see what we can do. And I, I didn't have a whole lot of objectives or plans in, in meeting with these people, but Thursday, I get a phone call from one of the, the staff members at uh, Prospect Point who said, hey, can, can we talk about just some spiritual, personal stuff? And I get on the phone, and, and it was just a request for prayer. They'd been dealing with hard, hard situations. I don't know any of the details, I don't know any names, but I know this person couldn't even mention some of them without breaking into tears. And he said to me, you know, um, we've asked of you to help provide food for these kids. It seems appropriate to ask prayer as well. We've started to serve the city. But there's much more to be done. Our welfare as exiles in this world is bound up in the welfare of the society around us. Listen to Alistair Begg again. I'm quoting him a lot, but his book on Daniel is wonderful. Alistair Begg said this, We're called to be servants of the Lord. You should not have to walk around your office with a large study Bible tucked, tucked under your arm for people to know that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus. You should not need a bunch of bumper stickers declaring your allegiance to Christ, especially if you're speeding and you cut me off. What is far more compelling is to be faithful, to be trustworthy, and to be reliable, to show up when you say you'll show up, to do a full day's job, to finish at the right time, to not steal the pencils or massage the expense claims, to help your colleagues even when the help is below your pay grade, to write thank you notes, to be courteous. 
It's good to be good at your job. It's a significant thing to be a man of purity in a dirty world or to be a woman of integrity in a shady world. We are called to do far more than be good workers and to serve our society well, but we are certainly not called to do less, even if it gets us in trouble, as it did Daniel. He served well, and and he served well with integrity, with such integrity in his service of a wicked kingdom that they knew they would not be able to catch him at work. They were going to have to get some edict on the books that made the worship of his God illegal. Number two, pray faithfully. Pray faithfully. When When the worship of his God is forbidden and nobody for 30 days is permitted to pray in the kingdom except to Darius, we come to verse 10. Maybe the most significant statement in it is the last one, as he had been doing previously. He didn't do something new. He didn't do something defiant. He didn't do something harsh. He just did what what he had already been doing. Once again, we see, as we've seen over and over, that it's not his obstinate defiance that sets him apart, but rather his faithful obedience. And here, what his faithful obedience to is to prayer. And I would remind us of Jeremiah 29.7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. He doesn't just seek to serve well, he's been praying and he continues to pray. Without a show of hands, how many of you here are bothered by the fact that prayer has been removed from the public square? Without a show of hands, you don't have to raise your hand. And if you've answered that yes, do you come to corporate prayer at the church? See, it's much easier to criticize others for their prayerlessness than to confess your own. It's much easier to call out someone's sin than to show up with your church and pray. But we are called to pray faithfully. We are called to pray for not only ourselves, but for the wicked kingdom that we live in as we seek its welfare. Number three, stand firm. Stand firm. This is also drawn from verse 10. Daniel could have compromised. He could have hid. He could have chosen not to offend. He could have said, what's 30 days? I just won't pray in front of my window for 30 days. I'll pray in private. Or or maybe I just won't pray for 30 days because, you know, after all, if I keep my life, I can continue to be a witness to my family and to my church and to the world. If If I just comply for 30 days, it's not a big deal. But compromise wasn't optional for Daniel. He stood firm. And I would say it is rarely in the crucible that you will begin to stand. If you're not standing firm first, you will not stand 
when persecution comes. You will not stand when it's forbidden. And lastly, and I don't know that I have a verse that I can attach to this, and so I haven't put a verse to it, but I think it's something we see here, and that is to start and end well. Start and end well. For the older generations among us, Daniel is an example of somebody who finished well. He's 83, and he's not retreating to his house. He isn't retired. He isn't hiding in the church or in the temple. He is still serving the city. And he is still serving with excellence. Is your attitude towards the church and towards evangelism? Well, I've, I've paid my dues. It's time for somebody else. I've served the church well for, for 65 years or 68 years like Daniel did. It's somebody else's turn. Daniel's sprinting for the finish line. And he's not just serving his people, he's serving the wicked society around him. If you are retired, can I, can I beg of you to exercise hospitality, to open your home, to, to let people see a little bit of you and yourself and your life and where you live and maybe find opportunities to introduce people to Jesus in that. You know, hospitality is commanded of every believer. It's not presented to us as a spiritual gift for some. Read 1 Peter. As exiles in our Babylon, hospitality is not optional for God's people. It's just not. When Jesus first meets the disciples, the first question they ask of him is, Teacher, where are you staying? He says, Come and see. That's what hospitality is. Come and see. Come and see where I live. Come and see a little bit of what my life is like. Come and see a little bit of who my God is. If you are of the older generations, finish well. And if you are of the younger generations among us, Daniel is an example of somebody who started well. He started serving just in this exact way, faithful, even when it gets him in trouble, at 15 years old. If you think you can play at the things of the world now and get serious about the things of God later, you are sorely mistaken. Because the things of the world that you want to play at now, they will vie for your affections. And as Jesus said in the parable of the sower, the, the cares of the world will choke out faith in you. If you are of an older generation, your best days of ministry aren't behind. And if you are of a younger day, generation, your best days to serve God are not ahead. The best day to serve God with everything you have is always today. And so stand firm. Start and end well. 
Young people, how you live now will set the trajectory for the rest of your life, and it will be a trajectory on the narrow path headed towards heaven or the broad path headed towards hell. But there's something much bigger going on in the book of Daniel, even as we see these four principles. And that's that Daniel's experience here in chapter 6, it's representative of all of Judah's experience. It's representative of the whole nation that has been taken into captivity. The nation had been consumed by the lion of Babylon. In Daniel 3.8 and 6.24, literally the Hebrew says, in talking about those who sought to trap and accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, that the men, the Hebrew words are, ate their pieces. It's not just the lions who are seeking to consume them, it's the world that is seeking to consume them. These these Chaldeans in chapter 3 and these satraps and prefects in chapter 6 are seeking to eat the pieces of these men. The word picture is that of being consumed, and Babylon had consumed the nation of Judah. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 24, the penalty for covenant infidelity, for idolatry, for not, for not being faithful to God was, uh, was the curse of wild beasts. Deuteronomy 32, 24. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. And listen now to how the psalmist relays to us these captivities. Psalm 14.4, or even just the the evildoers against them. Uh, Psalm 14.4, have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? And and of David's enemies in Psalm 17.12, he says, he is like a lion eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. Jeremiah 4.7, the prophet who God uses to predict this Babylonian captivity, says a lion has gone up from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He has gone out from his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. And so Daniel's situation here is, is, is representative of the nation of Judah as it is being consumed by the lion of Babylon. The big difference is that Judah is in captivity for its faithlessness and Daniel is in the lion's den for his faithfulness. So here, while Judah is being consumed by the lion of Babylon for its sin, there is Daniel, who is described in chapter 1 as without blemish who is faithful to God, and who for his faithfulness is thrown into a pit where death is certain and a stone is rolled over the entrance and sealed with the signet ring of the king. But the next day, Daniel emerges alive, having been rescued by a faithful God. And so here we are, in in exile, being consumed by the lion of sin. And we look not to Daniel, but to Jesus, who is the lamb without blemish, 
who for his faithfulness was plotted against and crucified and thrown into a pit. With a stone that was rolled over the door and sealed with the signet ring of the ruler and who three days later emerged alive, having been vindicated by God. Why? So that we, like Daniel, by faith, could emerge from the pit of death caused by our own sins and welcomed into eternal life rather than being consumed by our sins. He is a sovereign and saving God. Lord, thank you that you have rescued us from the pit. And just as you were able to rescue Daniel from the pit and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, and just as you were able to give life to the innocent Christ, the lamb without blemish, who who died in our place to take away the sins of the world, We trust that you can give us life as well. That when by faith we we trust you and believe in you and believe in, in all that you have done for us and rather than trying to trust our own goodness or 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 blemish freeness, when we trust Christ instead, we are made to be what we cannot be on our own. Holiness and righteousness in Him. And so we we uh We thank you, Lord, that you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become your righteousness in him. Lord, may we serve you well. May we be found sprinting to the finish line when you call us home through death or or through your return. Lord, if we are If we are of the older generations, let us not sit back and think we've paid our dues. And if we are of the younger generations, let us pursue you with zeal. But from now till then, whatever it may be, Lord, find us faithful. Faithfully serving you, faithfully serving our city, faithfully standing firm. Because you have rescued us from the pit and you are worthy of such faithfulness. You have been faithful to us. May we be faithful to your covenant as well. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.